Let's open our Bibles up to Colossians as we read the Word of God. Chapter 2, verse 1. Colossians chapter 2. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you in the, and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of the understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheats you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Father God, as we now open your word, may our hearts be receptive to receive all that you have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to read uh, from Ecclesiastics as well. This is Ecclesiastics chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And there we read, and we're told, Ecclesiastes 1.9, All that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. Today we're going to be looking at something that's old and present in our day. In the book of Colossians, Paul is writing to Christians he's never met, who live in a city he's never been to, and are fellowshipping in a fellowship that he did not start. And in that, we read in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I want you to know how great a struggle or conflict I have for you, for those in Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face. Paul is writing, and he says, I have this conflict, this struggle for you. And the Greek word there is agon, and it has to do with the Greeks as they would get together at their games, and they would compete, uh, they, they would uh, um, battle for a prize. That was going on in his heart as he was knowing what was coming against uh, the church, the ungodly and the unbiblical influence that was happening there. So for those who have an ear to hear, it has the echo of something old yet familiar. For those who have a spiritual palate to distinguish between subtle flavors, what was being said has the initial taste of, huh, that sounds interesting, but then it has the aftertaste of something strange, bitter, and completely wrong. And for those who walk in the light as he is in the light, it cast a shadow of an ancient figure that's seen before. And all that was being said to the churches in those days 
is lies. And it has the same source. And it all began with, has God really said? So why was he so troubled? Well, he was troubled. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And he did not want them to be cheated or deceived by the traditions at that time. There were traditions of Judaism. There was a Jewish mysticism. And there was this group called the Gnostics. A group who's said they had the special spiritual wisdom and knowledge that only they could have. And Paul did not want them then, and God does not want us today, folks, to be deceived or cheated out of all that we have in Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, verses 4 and 8, I'm going to be reading from the J.B. Phillips translation. He says in verse 4, he doesn't want them, listen, to be led astray by someone or some other's attractive arguments. Verse 8, intellectualism or high-sounding nonsense, things, thoughts, ideas, concepts that have their origin. Let us not, church, let us not be deceived or confused by the events of our time that can maybe sometimes overwhelm us and seem like things are not going right. As even John the Baptist, remember, there was that time when he was questioning. He's in prison. He's wondering what's going on. And he sends his disciple to Jesus in Luke 7, 19 and says, are you the coming one or do we seek another? We have no need to go outside of Jesus Christ for anything concerning life and godliness, for anything concerning wisdom, knowledge, spiritual understanding, and the mysteries of God. In fact, in chapter 1, Paul's desire for them, in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he wants them to be filled with all the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding and to have a walk that is worthy of him. In Colossians 2, 3, which we've already read, he, he prays that they would have the full assurance, the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge and the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, listen, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In John 14, 9, we know that Jesus said this, that he said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. And then in Ephesians 3, 19, Paul writes and says that he desires for everyone to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Why? That they may be filled with the knowledge of God. Now, this Gnosticism had some philosophy, some teachings that I'm going to go over. They present a false gospel. And if you present a false gospel, you are therefore presenting a false Christ, such as Mormons or JWs do. And remember this as I go on through today, that all lies are based on a truth. All lies have some bit of truth in them. Gnosticism presents this false dualism between the spirit and the flesh, the spirit and the body. Uh, they taught that the physical and the spiritual were at odds with each other. The physical was all bad, the material was all bad, and only that which was spiritual is good. Now at first, we might say, well, that sounds pretty familiar to me. That sounds kind of right. They taught, though, that what you did in and to the body, the physical body, doesn't matter because the spiritual self, the true self within, is all that matters. And we know this. We're told in Romans 7, 18, uh, that in us, that is, in our flesh, nothing good dwells, right? We're told in Philippians 3, 3, that we're to have no confidence in the flesh. We agree with that. In Galatians 5, 17, we're told that the flesh lusts against the spirit 
and the spirit lust against the flesh, and that they are contrary to one another. So as I read those scriptures, I have no argument what is said. But this tension that exists between the flesh and the spirit is not what the Gnostics teach. Now, for the redeemed saint, for the child of God, God has done something wonderful for us, for this bag of bones. First of all, remember that Jesus came in the flesh, not just in the spirit. In John 1.14, we read, and the word became flesh, and what? Dwelt among us, right? He was here in the flesh. In 1 John 4.3, and, and he says that, that many false prophets have come, and listen, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has, Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Jesus has come in the flesh. And he goes on to say, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist. So any spirit that says Jesus hasn't come in the flesh is the spirit of the Antichrist. Jesus came to do in the flesh what we were unable to do for ourselves. And the false teaching of the Gnostics of that time and continues on through this day concerning the body and the spirit is a perversion of the truth. Because listen, if this their idea of flesh and spirit is right, then it denies Emmanuel. It denies God with us. Jesus, 100% in the flesh, he's 100% God, and yet 100% man at the same time. And God uses this physical body that we have, this as the visible body of Christ in our day, in our time, to carry out his will in this dark and decaying world. In Philippians 2.13, we're told that it is God who works in us to do his will for his good pleasure. And then 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that, he says, you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So God is unknowable, uh, incomprehensible. It's true that we would read some verses that would say, well, that's, that's, that's true. We would read, for instance, in 1 Timothy 3.16, that there is a mystery of godliness. Uh, we would agree uh, in Isaiah 55.8.9, the Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We also would agree in Deuteronomy 29.29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed to us belong to our children forever, that we may do all the works of this law. Yes, there is a mystery of godliness. And yes, uh, his God's ways and thoughts are higher than ours. And yes, there are things that God knows, only God knows, he keeps to himself that we don't know. But this doesn't mean he's unknowable. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14. In the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In Colossians chapter 2, again, verses 2 and 3, Paul speaking to Christians, he says, I want your hearts that they may be encouraged, being knit together in love, attaining to all the riches of the fullness of full assurance. Listen, he's saying, I want you to have full assurance of understanding 
to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Full assurance is what we have in Christ Jesus. In Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, in whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. In John, in John 14, one of my favorite verses of the Bible after stating that Jesus, Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the be sufficient. That'll be enough. Just show us the Father. And then the, the Lord Jesus goes, oy vey. <laughs> Philip, have I been with you so long? And you don't know me? He who has seen me, he says, has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? You see, the point is this. Anything that God has quote-unquote, hidden in the past uh, concerning his nature and his will and, and his purpose, the Lord has revealed. He's revealed that in his word and in the Son. And it's there for all to receive who will. God is knowable. He's not unknowable, and he's not only revealed to the special select group of spiritual men that the Gnostics claim to be. They also presented a, a salvation that was kind of hidden uh, in this way. That is the sense, listen, for anyone's salvation. Secret revelation, secret revelation frees the divine spark that is within us all, allowing our soul to return to the realm of light, which is where we belong. But the Bible tells us that before we were in Christ, that we were not only in darkness, that we were darkness. And now because of Jesus, because of him, we are children of light in the Lord. Now, Again, in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, concerning sal salvation, it says, As many as receive him, believe in his name, being born of the will of God, these become the children of God. And you know Ephesians 2, 8, it's by grace we've been saved through faith. It has nothing to do with works. It is a gift of God. And I love Acts 16, an answer to the Philippian jailer uh, who just has his whole life shaken up, if you would. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? To which Paul and Silas said, what? Travel 1,000 miles to a mountain, climb up that mountain and find a little purple rose and take that purple rose and put it on your lapel and then travel another two. No, he says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The Gnostics also presented a divided body of Christ, if you would. Two categories. Uh, the first category, which was the most populated category to these Gnostic special people, uh, was... But there was a second category that they called the superior ones. It was only to the superior, the divinely enlightened ones who could comprehend the secret teachings and obtain true salvation. But the Bible tells us that once we've received Jesus Christ, that God has done what? He's given to each and every one of us the Holy Spirit. And God, we're told, has made the two one in Christ Jesus, and you are either born again or you're not born again. There's no in-between. 
You see, the gospel points to Christ, but the Gnostics proclaim a salvation that comes from the inside. Again, they deny something like Jeremiah 17, 9 that says something about the heart being desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. The Gnostics, they believe and taught that you find your true self from within. And they deny the goodness of God, the glory of his creation. They deny the incarnation. They deny the resurrection. They deny, deny the need for redemption and that Christ is sufficient for all. So Paul writes to Colossians. He writes to this church. And he writes to, cor to correct and to warn them uh, so that the people of God would not be led astray. And I'm going to read it again. He says in, in chapter 2, verses 4 and 8, in verse 4, Now I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Verse 8, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, empty deceit, according to the, the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Narcissism is a lying, cheating system. It's a lying, cheating system filled with persuasive words, philosophy, empty deceit, based on the traditions of man and the basic principles of the world, and has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And folks, any man-made or woman-made philosophy that has no place for Jesus as Jesus had presented in the Word of God is not worthy of consideration and is a lie from Satan. Now, in regards to all this, if you read Colossians, you read chapter 1. In chapter 1, Paul writes and he presents Jesus as preeminent. In chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, he, he presents him as preeminent in creation. In verses 19 through 23, he presents Jesus as preeminent in redemption. And in verses 24 through 29, preeminent in the church. Against all that they were saying, he says, no, Christ is preeminent. And I love verse 27 of chapter 1, because he speaks of this secret, this mystery. The secret in this mystery is Christ in you. Is Christ in you. Now, in our text today, that we read, we look at verse 6. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, uh, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Verses 6 and 7 here basically conclude this argument that Paul had begun in chapter 1. That's what the therefore is therefore. And he says, as you have received, they had received something that was sure and solid, and it was a once and for all statement. Paul is speaking out against this, all the persuasive words and the philosophy and the empty deceit that was being given to, to them during, at that time because he was concerned about them being tempted to receive it. Received. All that you have received. In contrast, remember to, again, from the J.B. Phillips, the attractive arguments, the intellectualism, or high-sounding nonsense, things, thoughts, ideas, and concepts that have their origins in man's wrong idea of the nature of this world and disregard Christ. That's what he's contrasting. All that you see in Christ, in contrast to all that. We know, again, 
John 1.14, Jesus, what do they receive? Jesus, full of grace and truth. What do they receive? They receive knowledge because, again, in 2 Corinthians 11.6, Paul said, you know, I might be untrained in speech, but I'm not untrained in knowledge. If you want knowledge, you've received knowledge. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 17 and 21, uh, we're, we're told that the gospel wasn't preached with persuasive word or the wisdom of words, but preached in a... Paul says, I didn't come to you with excellence of speech or wisdom, but I came to you to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And then again in Acts, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, uh, those who oppose uh, the gospel were, were kind of just struck by what they heard from those who had been with Jesus. And we read there that as Peter and John spoke, they saw boldness and they saw that these uneducated, these untrained men uh, marveled. They marveled at what they heard because they said they knew these guys had been with Christ. These guys had been with Jesus. So we read in verse 6, you received. What have they received? Who have they received? Listen, when you read this in verse 6, it refers to more than receiving a tradition or a doctrine. Paul here is not saying that we have just received the doctrine of Christ, which we have, but we have received Jesus himself. He is the essence of our faith. Again, in Colossians 1.27, to them God willed to make known were the riches and the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles to which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What we have to offer people, what you, when you go out from here and you're talking to your friends or neighbors or the clerk at the store, we don't have Calvary Chapel to offer them. We, we don't have our own really experiences to offer them. That's not what we're trying to offer them. And we're not offering them wisdom of this world. What we have to offer them is Christ. And hopefully Christ in them eventually. He says that as you receive, uh, in verse 6, therefore as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So walk in Him. When you think of the word walk, what does it imply? It implies forward movement. Right? And implies going in a direction. The Christian individually and the church corporately is to be one of forward movement. We are not a monument, folks. We are a movement. And this movement that he speaks of, this walk that he speaks of in verse 7, must have a sure foundation and a direction for there to be any validity or any uh, value to our walk. Because he says, rooted in him. You are rooted. This is past tense. This is something that is a done deal. It happened at our conversion and as we continue on living. It implies our vitality as we stay connected to him. Again, in John 15, 1, Jesus says, I am the vine and we are what? The branches. We have to stay connected to him. He says, built up in him. We were rooted in him and we're built up in him. Implies strength and solidity as he is in us. John chapter 17, Jesus in his priestly prayer. He says, 
I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. These two words here, rooted and built up, work together to give substance to our walk. Hebrews 11.1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And he says in verse 6, he he says, as you therefore have received Jesus Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, verse 7, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Established in our faith as we have been taught. They have been taught the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching. That's what they have been established in, and that's what we are established in. We're established in the Word of God, filled with the Spirit of God. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. So listen, no matter what philosophy or empty deceit, the world might be trying to cram down our throats today. Because we are rooted and we are built up in Jesus Christ and we are established in our faith, and he says established, abounding with joy. We should be abounding with joy. I'm not saying everything's joyful, but we're abounding in joy because of him. Because of that, we will not be moved. We must not, as a church, be moved to do not know the Savior and for the glory of God. For Warren Wiersbe, he sums this section up with this. As you are saved by faith, so walk in faith. As you're saved by the word, so walk according to the word. As you're saved through the work of the Spirit, so walk in the Spirit. The Christian life continues as it began by faith in God. Now, some things for us to apply. To all of us as Christians, and especially to those who teach, we need to make sure we wake up, that we're sober, and we identify the Gnostic influences in our culture today, which I'm going to go into in a little more detail in a moment. But this Gnostic influence is affecting our culture, and it's infiltrating the church, and we must we must stand up and speak out against it when we see it, using all the means that the Lord God has given us in, in our nation politically, as well as, most importantly, proclaiming the whole counsel of the Word of God. And we do this, folks, not to present ourselves as better than anybody else uh, in any way, but we do this to keep and to preserve and to present the truth, the way, and the life that's only found in Jesus Christ. And as we do this, as we stand as we should stand, the church is strengthened and salvation is offered to all those who have been taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition and the basic principles of this world. So we need to be aware of the Gnostic teaching and philosophy in the world that is, it's abundant today uh, in our culture, and it is steadily listened and relentlessly working its way into the church, into the body of Christ. So how is it working? Well, the Gnosticism, the Gnostics, they believe that the creator is bad because the material world is bad. Listen, they believe 
that the God who made this physical world, and they called this God the bad or stupid God. Uh, they called him the, the Dimridge. Uh, the God of the Old Testament, they said, is the one who is to blame for making the world evil and full of suffering. But however, they said, there's a supreme God, the spiritual God, who's only interested in the non-physical spiritual reality and meaningless. But the Bible says there's only one God. And the Bible says that he created all things. And the Bible says that after he created all things, he said, this is good. My creation is good. And there are other scriptures I could give you, but, but, but that, that just helps us remind that, that creation is not bad. I made it bad. They teach that we are not our body. Now again, remember I said all lies are based on a truth. But they say because the body is part of this physical world, it is contentable. It's a worthless shell that imprisons the true self, uh, the precious spirit within us all. And this inner person is separate and more real than the physical body. Now, that statement, that belief without the full counsel of the word of God leads to one or two things. It leads to uh, basically avoiding con contamination with the physical world that you be a recluse and you pull yourself away, or it leads to reckless hedonism where people see no point in keeping the body pure, but the most important thing is to express the inner self within. And what of the two do we see it being expressed today? The Bible says, you and I, men and women, created in the image of God. And the Bible says that we were created body and soul and spirit, and we have been designed by our Creator uh, with wisdom and love to serve and glorify Him in this body. The Gnostics also made a male-female distinction that we don't make. They claim that the male-female distinction is a corruption. A distinction that needs to be rejected because it's part of the physical world. Uh, the non-binary, gender-neutral position is to be embraced. Neither male nor female. You see, to the Gnostic way of thinking, the male-female distinction is defective because it's part of the fallen world of death. And if, if we want to escape it, we need to escape it to find true life. Now I'm going to read you a part from the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas that was found in Egypt in 1945. And it says this, when you make the male and the female one and the same, so that male not be male, nor female female, then you will enter the kingdom. That that's stated in the image of God. And God deliberately, purposely made us male and female. Separate, but different. Different, but together. And God created all genders, male and female. <laughs> now, this philosophy, okay, I'll make it. <laughs> I was telling Arthur early on that this teaching originally had designed for two parts and it had about 28 pages and so I've been condensing it down trying to make it work. But this philosophy, this empty deceit that was th happening then and continued on through the ages, because it's a lie from Satan, he's not going to give up, 
It, it, it affects our culture concerning human value, gender identity, and marriage. And it is going on 24-7 in the ears of men and women today in our society and infecting the brain and deceiving the hearts of our children. Concerning human value, again, the Gnostics teach that the body, which is physical, is evil. So this body is secondary at best to the inner person inside. And if that's the case, then we know that the sanctity of life is on shaky ground. And we've been seeing that since the 60s, especially. They, they teach that what makes us as humans have worth is based on something within, like self-awareness or knowledge or expression, self-expression. And today we have more and more, quote-unquote, experts or medical people teaching and stating that we start and we stop at being human, a full person, based on mental capacity. And this means, again, that concerning abortion, that the unborn child is not a person. And if that's the case, then neither is the older person with dementia. But we know that the life that we have as humans is uniquely precious. Why? Because we all have been created in the image of God. This is where our significance lies. Not in our supposed quality of life or age or our capability. Gender identity. We're just flooded with this today in our, this woke invasion. It seems like all of a sudden the door just opened up and all around us is this, this teaching that tells us that the real you is what you feel deep inside. If that's the case, then this inner person inside overrides or it's given preeminence over all external factors, including logic and common sense and science and biology and creation and cultural history and, of course, the Word of God. Uh, we are being indoctrinated today, uh, made to comply by force with the claim that gender identity does not necessarily align with birth sex assignment. We're told today that we can write our own script, be it male, female, or some other of the thousand other options that they present before us. In fact, we're told today even more and more that just being male and female is old stuff. But God in his wisdom again made us male and female. Those are the only truly true options. In fact, science has already established this. Everyone's sexual identity is encoded in every cell of our being as part of creative, God's creative design. In fact, there's a quote, and I don't know who said this. Our bodies are intrinsic to whom we are and in reality. There is no such thing as gender identity separate to biological sex. They also, inf their thinking influences marriage. Because again, we're being told, our children are being taught that marriage now is, can be defined by feelings. Um, and even if one doesn't believe in God the Creator, the obvious complementary natures of men and women is being ignored. It, it may be true, but it has no right to be true, is the attitude. So because marriage now becomes a disembodied, subjective relationship between two or three or more people or things, um, this Gnostic thinking has gone too far. What it does, it exalts the inner self over objective reality. And because of that, marriage now becomes a pliable thing with no biblical 
or cultural foundation, thus making same-sex marriage the next logical consequence, and we're seeing today even trans marriage. We have a man who thinks he's a woman and a woman who thinks she's a man, and they get married. It, it, I mean, it really, it, it boggles the mind. But God grounds marriage in his creation. It's defined as being between one man and one woman, which then forms a foundation of family, which is the foundation of society. And in that, society has meaning and longevity. It is within the biblical marriage where love, as God intended, can thrive. And then children can be produced and raised to be godly. I'm almost done. Uh, I have till 1.30? <laughs> few more, few more. Those in this movement today, this trans movement, ask us as Christians, why do we care so much? What, what difference does it make to us? And the first thing why we care so much is because we care about truth. We care about truth because for us to enter into their world of make-believe and fantasy and perversion and lies would force us to deny truth. And if we deny truth, that means we have to deny Jesus. But secondly, why do we care so much? Because what they're doing to this men-women marriage thing, listen, has this effect. Anything less than God's design for marriage between one man and one woman, that you read in the Bible in Ephesians, that is a visible picture of what? The relationship between Christ and the church. Anything less than that just perverts that whole picture of the loving and caring relationship between Christ and the church. And that relationship cannot, cannot be truthfully presented any other way. Well, here we are. We're surrounded today. We're surrounded by enticing voices and philosophy and empty deceit according to the basic principles of this world and not according to Christ. If I was to take and hold up to you a yellow piece of construction paper that I cut into a hexagon, and then I put Frodo Baggins' picture in the middle of it, and in the corners of the hexagon I drew 20 as $20, uh, that would fool no one. It, it would have about as much belief in it as Monopoly money if I was to hold up Monopoly money to you. But deception always looks authentic and popularity, and even a touch of desirability. But let me close with this. In 2 Corinthians 11, 13, and 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan himself can transform himself into an angel of light, Therefore, it's of no great thing if his ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose, whose end will be according to their works. So brothers and sisters, let us be Christians who are rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, abounding in thanksgiving so that we won't be cheated and through philosophy and empty deceit according to the, the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of, the, of this world, and not according to Christ. And not only for our own good, but for the good of those we love and who are close to us. It might be our children or our grandchildren. We need to be rooted so we can help them be rooted.
Amen? Amen. Father God, the lies and the deception and the philosophy and empty deceit is around us. And we are so thankful that we have you, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And that now we walk in the light as you are in the light. And you have put us in this position for such a time as this. So let us shine, Lord, in this darkness. Let us speak, Lord, in this unending barrage of noise that is so contrary to what you are. And let us do this, Lord, not in our own strength, but in a demonstration of spirit and power full of grace and truth. And let us have compassion on those who are caught up in the lies and the deception and the deceit. And let us focus on the enemy who's behind all of this. For God, here we are, and we're ready to go. Be glorified, we pray. Use us, Lord, according to your will and your way and your glory. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.